I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Helps us out a whole lot. Today, Stuart is back and in the co-host chair. Stuart, how are you? How are you doing well? And our guest today from Pro Football Focus is Sam Monson. Sam, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing really well, thank you. I appreciate you hopping on and giving us some time today. So I thought uh, we'd start like this. I'm very curious how a man from Ireland ends up in Ohio at Pro Football Focus. How'd you get there and how long have you been there now? Um, been here kind of since the start. Um, started off with PFF because Neil Hornsby, the, the founder of the site, um, kind of set this thing up as a almost as a hobby to begin with, as just a way of um, quantifying how good players were, of, of grading players and seeing who the best in the NFL really were and needed guys to help them do games. You know, there's uh, hundreds of games, obviously, in the course of an NFL season, and one guy can't do all that by himself, so he needed people to come on and help. And I was one of the first guys in there. Um, ben Stockwell, who's still there, Khaled, uh, El Sayed, still there. Um, all these guys were just sort of first in the door, people that Neil knew um, from just being football fans. And then PFF kind of grew and spiraled from there into what it is now. What Then Chris Collinsworth came into the picture. What, what, what does that look like in his engagement and maybe even your engagement with him and so on and so forth? Yeah, I mean, Chris has told the story a bunch of times where he kind of he was looking to find information on all the other teams in the NFL. You know, he did his thing for uh, commentary, but was was trying to sort of research all the teams that he didn't get a chance to see for other studio shows, um, dialed into to PFF, subscribed to the, the premium service um, and, and sort of called up or uh, put in the contact details of um the, the contact us thing on the website and was kind of like, who, who are you guys? You know, where have you got all this information from all this kind of stuff? Um, and then Neil phones them back and they get into a conversation. Then over the course of the next kind of six months, Chris ends up buying into the company, buying the majority share of PFF. And that's when, you know, PFF starts to relocate to Cincinnati, Ohio because of Chris being here um, we, we push into college football and, you know, a lot of doors in the NFL get opened as well because of the kind of influence that Chris can bring to the table. It's, it's odd. It feels like there's no in between with PFF, right? Like people either love the metrics and what it's useful for, or they hate it. Is, am I right? Is that odd there? I mean, why does it feel like there's such, there's no middle ground? I think that's the world we live in right now. There's no middle ground with anything. Um, you know, usually it's, it's the people that it says the, it, it backs up your priors and says what you wanted to see. You're going to love PFF and the people where, you know, it says something different to what you wanted it to say, um, or it, it criticizes your favorite player, or if you are a player, it criticizes you. Um, those are the guys that, that rail against it and complain and, and, you know, point out the problems and all those kinds of things. Well, there's actual football on the field, so let's get to some of it. I thought maybe um, we'd start out with the most important position on the field, the quarterbacks, uh, kind of take a quick trip around. Your thoughts on some of these quarterback competitions. Let's start in New England. How soon do you think Mac Jones gets on the field 
Yeah, I still think that Cam Newton's going to start week one, but I think that's now a lot closer of a competition than I expected it to be. Um, I think that first preseason game from Mac Jones was sort of set up like an audition. You know, they they had him run hurry up drives. They had him do a bunch of different things, I think, just to see if he could handle it, to see if he was capable of starting an NFL game and, and not being overwhelmed by those additional sort of situational things that a quarterback is going to have to handle at this level. So going into that game, I didn't really think that Jones was going to be tremendously close to pushing Cam Newton for a starting job, and it was going to come sometime during the season. But now I think that is a decision they have to make. And, and I still think they'll lean on, on Newton to start. But now I think that Jones is kind of breathing down his neck and is a lot closer in that competition. Let's move west to Chicago with Justin Fields and Andy Dalton. Yeah, I mean, look, when you look at what's going on with Chicago's offensive line, you know, Tevin Jenkins, their second round pick is now having back surgery and they hope to get him back this season. So at that point, you probably have to write him off completely as a, in terms of his rookie year. Jason Peters has been signed to be the left tackle. Peters is still capable of being a good player at left tackle, but he's 40 years old and he's had a lot of injuries recently. So that can't be something you can lean on too hard. That offensive line, I think is going to be a problem week one. They're facing the Rams and Aaron Donald. I mean, they've said all along that Dalton will start week one. I mean, I think that's a big reason why that they really don't want to throw Justin Fields out there and let him try and sink or swim against Aaron Donald and that Rams defense. Um, but you know, feels looks good. It's going to be a case of how well Dalton can play and can he keep him on the bench? If, if Dalton plays well for the first month of the season, I think it could be a while before we see Justin Fields. But if he struggles, if he has a couple of bad games and all those problems with the offensive line are going to hamper him as much as they do Fields, then I think you're going to see Fields, you know, pretty soon. And then out in the bay, um, I have been saying I find it hard to believe they gave up all those assets and aren't going to play Lance week one. Uh, Shanahan has familiarity with Robert and setting up a way to make guys succeed and help guys succeed. I know that Garoppolo is good when healthy. What are your thoughts are out there? Yeah, I, I thought for a long time that, look, if it was me, I don't see a reason not to start Trey Lance week one. I don't see the problems that other people are saying and the idea that he needs to sit and learn for any extended period of time before you throw him out there. But his preseason debut maybe made me reassess that or at least sort of gave you pause to think about it. He made a couple of big mistakes late in that game. Um, sort of mental errors in terms of misreading coverage and, and putting the ball in harm's way, essentially threw it to defenders twice. Neither time it was caught, so you know, no interceptions on the stat sheet. But those were plays that, you know, Shanahan's going to look at and think, I don't know if this guy is ready to go out there and be a better option than Jimmy Garoppolo right away. We have this guy, you know, let's not risk it until we're sure that we're not going to get a ton of those plays from Trey Lance. Obviously the high end is there, the deep touchdown pass that he threw to Sherfield. He made a couple of other really nice throws early in that game, but the stuff that happened late, I think would kind of make them think twice about starting him right off the gate or right off the bat. So I think they probably will start with Garoppolo and then see how long that lasts. So real quick, Stuart, before you get in there, one last one, just to wrap this one up, which one of the three do you think starts first? 
Um, I think probably Justin Fields starts first out of that trio. I think the pressure to put him in is going to be too much. Um, and as much as the Bears have sort of guaranteed Dalton will start week one, it's not going to take much bad play before they make that switch. As you're looking along the uh, across the landscape of the league, uh, who's maybe that team uh, that might be the dark horse that ends up being a winner? And who's maybe the team that we might expect to do well, but ends up kind of flopping? Yeah, I think there's a few teams that could, you know, do well from a, a little bit far back. Uh, I think Washington is one of them. Like the, the roster that they have is really good. And Fitzpatrick, as much as he's not an exciting prospect as a starting quarterback, he is a massive upgrade over what was there last season. Um, both Dwayne Haskins and even Alex Smith when he came in, like Fitzpatrick should play significantly better than either of those guys, even if it's a bit of a roller coaster, you know, along the way. So that I think makes Washington a real contender. Like they could win that division easily. They could host a playoff game again. And then, you know, they gave Tampa Bay a good game last season. That was with um, that inferior quarterback play. Okay. Heineke actually had an outstanding game, but I think the team is overall better than it was a year ago. Um, so they'd be one of them. Um, I'm not sure there's too many other sort of real dark horse candidates that you can picture coming out of nowhere. And then, sorry, what was the other part of that question? The, the, the flip side? Who, who might we? Yeah, exactly. Um, I could see, I could see Buffalo underachieving, you know, their expectations are sky high. Now they were pretty lucky last season in terms of injuries. Josh Allen played out of his mind last year. He needs to hit that level again for them to be as good. And that division should be better. Like the Patriots should be better. Um, the Dolphins should be better if, if Tua takes a step and the Jets will be better, even if it doesn't necessarily show up on the record. So Buffalo are just going to have a harder time of things than they had a year ago. Well, this is a Washington football team podcast. So let's get into that in a little bit more detail. You hit brought up Fitzpatrick and, and I'm totally with you that the fan base is kind of torn in half. There's a, there's a bunch of people that watched that last game with Heineke and are really excited. But the numbers show that Fitzpatrick, when given opportunities, has been really good the last couple of years. What do you think that the fan base should expect from a full season of Heineke with Fitzpatrick with really nice weapons? Fitzpatrick has been basically a, an average NFL quarterback for the last sort of two, three years, which is the best football of his career. Um and it doesn't, it doesn't always, it's, it's usually a roller coaster to get to that stage. You know, he's going to come out at about a league average level, but there's going to be some fantastic games in there. There's going to be some terrible games in there and it's going to net out somewhere in the middle. Um, but this roster I think is good enough where a league average play actually takes them a pretty long way. And if he ends up getting to the playoffs and you get the high end of his variance, you know, you get a couple of good games in the postseason. Now you can really go somewhere. Um, so I think, look, Fitzpatrick's a frustrating quarterback sometimes, but he's also, I think he's pretty good and he's gotten a very good understanding now of how he needs to best play the game, knowing what his weaknesses are, right? So he doesn't have a tremendously strong arm. He's not a phenomenal athlete. He's not a huge um, prototypical pocket passer, but he knows that the best way of him getting the most out of his game is to basically just give receivers a chance to make plays, put it in the air, let those guys do their job. And, you know, sometimes it's not going to work out, but when it does, it's good for everybody. Um, and it's the best way that Fitzpatrick can kind of play to the level of talent that he actually has. And I think, you know, people talk about 
um, obviously every time he plays, the, the fact that he went to Harvard comes up. And it's always been difficult for people, I think, to square the idea, well, this guy went to Harvard, so he's a genius. Why does he keep throwing the ball to defenders or to linebackers? Or like, what's going on? Those aren't smart plays. It, it, you know, it's obviously a different part of like your brain. It's not the same thing. The, the ability to sort of process on the fly and make correct football decisions versus just book smarts and, you know, basic intelligence. But I think what the intelligence and the Harvard education has let Fitzpatrick do is kind of take a step back and analyze his own game over his career and change the way he plays to this sort of um, YOLO style of, of football. And when you've got receivers like Terry McLaurin and potentially Deami Brown now, and you know, the guys they have in Washington, you could, that, that could all come together and be a really productive offense because of that. Uh, undrafted free agent, Jared Patterson, they, they just let go of Lamar Miller. What, what's your thoughts? Do you have thoughts about him coming out of the college? What do you have any thoughts about what we might get out of him this year? I thought he looked good. I mean, that's a pretty stanked backfield at this point um, in Washington. It's, it's potentially tough for him to make much of an impact just because of the players in front of him. I think you're going to need some, some kind of injury or, or some sort of unexpected opportunity for him to get a shot, but he looked good in that first preseason game. Um, I think he's a capable player and a, you know, useful guy to have on that depth chart. How does, we, we were talking about this the other day and maybe you can clarify. I was thinking putting Patterson, a guy like Patterson on the 53 and putting Barber on the practice squad. What is the new rules for the practice squad allow for, you know, stashing guys that you may not, you know, like maybe Barber, you're not so concerned, gets picked up on waivers where a guy like Patterson, maybe you are. Uh, can you bring any clarity what the practice squad rules are on this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think they they maintained the practice squad rules from the COVID year, right? So all the sort of changes that were made last season in terms of massively uh relaxing the rules in terms of NFL experience and all those kinds of things, um, I think still hold. So uh, there, there aren't going to be many players now that are ineligible for a practice squad spot the way there would have been a few years ago. Uh, we got a Twitter follower um, at RS underscore 14 DC says Kyle Allen said that Washington is trying to push Gibson into a similar role that McCaffrey played in Carolina. He's curious as your thoughts on that topic. Yeah, it's difficult to know exactly what that means because McCaffrey's role in Carolina was not that uh, remarkable in terms of, um, you know, unique things that they were asking to do. It was really just uh, exemplified by just how much they gave him the ball, like force feed him the ball was maybe the most um, the most sort of the, the biggest characteristic of his role there. They would give him a ton of carries. Obviously, they would also give him a ton of receptions and he would be the focal point of this offense underneath um, and get all these kind of catches out of the backfield. You would see him split out occasionally, but it wasn't like a huge part of his game. The big thing was just how the volume of receptions they were going to get. So, you know, I'm most intrigued by Gibson because of the potential of moving him around the formation and lining him up out wide and having him run real wide receiver patterns and causing sort of mismatch problems by, by almost a hybrid alignment. And both uh, Gibson, um, Curtis Samuel, like those types of players and the capacity to sort of move and interchange all those guys around, I think is where the real edge lies with that kind of stuff. Um, if the plan is to just 
you know, have Gibson be the bell cow of the offense and get a ton of carries and a ton of catches, it's good. It's, it's, it's um, like, he'll be good at it, but I'm not sure it maximizes the, the effectiveness of what he could do for the offensive uh, efficiency overall. Sam, one last one on the offensive side of the ball. I'm, I'm curious, last year it was really kind of hard to get a read on what Scott Turner wanted to do. I mean, to your point earlier, they started the year with Haskins and it feels like a lifetime ago since five quarterbacks played last year. What does the league, how does the league view him and what should we expect from a Scott Turner offense when given the tool, proper tools to run it? I think that's still up in the air. I mean, right now, one of the most intriguing things about this Washington group is that they are stacked full of these potential hybrid players. You know, Gibson, Curtis Samuel, J.D. McKissick was doing that a lot last year. There's all of a sudden a bunch of these guys that could be lined up in different spots and moved around pre-snap and sort of force these mismatch problems from a personnel standpoint um, when facing opposing defenses. And there hasn't been a ton of evidence that they're actually going to do that, um, which is, I mean, disappointing for one, but also makes sort of acquiring all those guys kind of an interesting and uh, curious move if you're not planning on using that as a sort of true advantage within the system. There aren't many offenses that do that, but the ones that do, particularly the ones that take wide receivers and move them into the backfield um, and threaten defenses that way, like that does increase production that is almost a cheat code for an offense and Washington right now is has a bunch of those guys that are capable of doing that um but there hasn't really been any sign yet that they're planning on leaning on it looking at the defensive side of the ball uh I'd love to get your thoughts on Benjamin St. Juice I know that as as Doug and I have talked uh offline um the, the question is whether or not he, he can be a starter and enable Fuller then to be playing in the slot where it seems like he might be the best suited for anyways. I think he could be. Um, he's a really intriguing player, like incredible size and sort of physical traits and all those kinds of things. The, the only concern with that is that rookie corners last year were absolutely lit on fire, like the league over. Almost none of those guys came out of the season with any kind of credit, any kind of positive um, takeaways they were all just basically beat up particularly the high drafted guys like the, the ones that were expected to be good were actually the ones that were torched the most uh, i think the best rookie last season was legerius need for the chiefs and he was a, a low round pick so if you're leaning on a rookie to start it, it, year one it's probably going to be a rough thing now last year was a record-setting season in terms of offense throughout the nfl maybe they try and dial things back a bit this year and they start enforcing holding calls a bit more and we see a little bit less offensive production, but I still think it's, it's a tough ask to expect a rookie to come in and kind of hold his own on the outside, just the, the, the way the league is right now. Let's stay in the secondary. William Jackson feels like an upgrade and will allow them hopefully to play a little bit more man. It's interesting. Here's one of the conversations I think that the league is starting to have more and more, and we certainly are in Washington, and that's the 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 defense was built off of this great defensive line. There's first-round picks all over it, but in a league that moves to passing and short passing, you know, the old adage, build from the lines out, does it still apply? Yeah, I, I probably not. Um, I think it, it, there's definitely still an argument, like the um 
the way the Lions are going about this rebuild, they've addressed the trenches first and they're going to circle back around for, you know, the players out on the perimeter, receivers and defensive backs and those kinds of things. And there's definitely a logic to the idea that it takes longer for uh, linemen to sort of get to their potential at the NFL. So if you're starting from scratch, it might still be an idea to build from the trenches first because those guys need a longer period of time to get good. Um, so at the time where your wide receivers are hitting the ground running, your lineman might be two, two, three years into this thing. And now you're starting to see everybody come together at the same time. But in terms of which is more important, um, you need a coverage unit that can stop people before you get the pass rush because a pass rush will help a coverage unit, but even a great pass rush unit, if the coverage can't hold up, it's not going to make a difference because the ball is going to come out and it's going to be over their head. It's going to be a big play anyway. Um, and you need, <clears throat> you need a lot of those guys in one coverage unit, you know, a cornerback is nice, but if you have two other cornerbacks that are getting torched and safeties that can't hold up and linebackers that are getting abused in the, the shallow zones, it doesn't cut it. So the difficulty with that is you now need to assemble, you know, five, six, seven guys on the back end that can cover, um, as well. So I think like all of these things, there probably isn't, you know, one defined strategy on how to do it. You know, let's assemble a, a, an elite front four pass rush and then we'll build on the back end. I think you just need to piece this thing together as you go. And it's, it's, there's never going to be one defined uh, roadmap, but you certainly can't. I don't think you can ever build one group or one unit and completely ignore the other. I appreciate your comment earlier about the, I guess the ineffectiveness of cornerbacks last year, defensive backs. What should be our expectation for Jamin Davis this year, a linebacker? Yeah, I, I mean, if there's one position that struggles as much as rookie corners or even worse, it's it's rookie linebackers right now. And that position, um, it's just become so hard. Like it used to be a spot, you go back a decade, linebacker was one of the easiest positions in the NFL to kind of translate into the, the pro league. And those guys would hit the ground running. And, you know, guys like D'Amico Ryans were like rookie of the year candidates immediately because they were just they could step in and, and just be a, a tackling machine. Now, like everything that's happened in the NFL over the last decade in terms of schematic development of offenses, it's all stressed linebackers like those guys now on every single play. They're being stretched horizontally and they're being stretched vertically and they have to deal with two or three different things at any given play. So a lot of the times you see these guys come in and they, one of their biggest calling cards is like special athleticism and they kind of, they seize up, they lose all that advantage because they're, they're trying to process. They're just sort of, you know, standing on one spot, trying to diagnose the play. And by the time they do the athleticism advantage that they have is gone. Um, or you get the reverse where you get a guy like Patrick queen last year who trusted his athleticism and flew around the field and made a ton of plays left, right, and center but not always to the right place. Right. And so it's like a double-edged sword. Either you have these guys who give away their athleticism advantage because they're trying to get on the same page and trying to figure out where they should be, or you get guys that trust it and go with it, but they're going to be wrong a bunch of times because of the way offenses are, are just putting these guys in a bind. So rookie linebackers, generally it's, it's pretty tough. They, they don't often, you know, dominate right away. And it might take them a year or two for you to get them to develop to where they need to be. Um, but I, I think it's, it's less because 
you know, they're just sort of struggling these days. And it's, I think it's more because of how difficult that role now is to succeed at quickly. Well, and it makes a ton, a ton of sense too, because they're still giving John Boston tons of reps, which I've said all along, I think has more to do with his understanding of the defense and getting other people in position than it does obviously to his athletic profile, which Jamie Davis has. I mean, they're not even in the same ballpark when it comes to that. Sam, I appreciate your time today. This was a whole lot of fun. He is uh, at PFF underscore Sam. And tell us what's coming up with the podcast. Yeah, we, uh, we're about to go to three shows a week when we kick into the regular season. Um, uh, a review show, a preview show of all the games, but then also a third one that's going to be more of a, a mailbag thing. And we'll interview some other kind of PFF uh, people in, in it as well. So more, more stuff that we don't get to cover usually. So that'll be fun. Well, we look forward to it. We appreciate your time today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Take it easy. Thank you.